He's a trigger warning waiting to happen. This is the Adam Crowley Show on ESPN Pittsburgh. And we are back for the final hour of the Adam Crowley Show. A three-hour spectacular from the Terrace on 5th above Buford's Kitchen here in Uptown Pittsburgh. I am Matt Geike, and you're listening to ESPN Pittsburgh. I work for DKPittsburghSports.com. As such, I'll be headed right across 5th Avenue to PPG Paints at the conclusion of this broadcast for the Penguins and the Blue Jackets. This is normally the Adam Crowley Show. I'm filling in for him for this afternoon. And joining me to my left, one more segment with Vince Comunale, who joins me from the Fischler Report and the Point of Pittsburgh. Big-time hockey guy, one of the best guys to talk pucks with. And uh, Vince, before we were so rudely interrupted in the final uh, segment of the previous hour, we were talking Ian Cole, we were talking most likely Penguins to be traded, but we didn't get to the Columbus Blue Jackets, who, well, this morning there was some more fuel added to the fire on the uh, the Penguins-Jackets rivalry, which I think it is a rivalry. John Tortorella asked about the Penguins, and he said, quite honestly, I don't like them. <laughs> I don't like the team. And we knew that was the case, going we back did. to his days with the Rangers, didn't we, when he called the Penguins one of the most arrogant organizations in the league. This was late in the 2011-2012 season. So, Torts back in the division, it made for more interesting sound bites. That's Absolutely. for sure for people in our business. I know fans don't like him very much on the Penguins side of things, uh, but it all adds to it, doesn't it? And I think this Penguins-Blue Jackets rivalry is the best one the Penguins have going right now. What do you think? I agree with you. I think that for right now, this rivalry has surpassed Penguins Flyers. I think over the past few seasons, you've seen that the Penguins have obviously been very successful, and the Flyers have been kind of in the doldrums of the NHL. And I think that for a rivalry to be great, you have to have both teams be very good at that time. And obviously, the Blue Jackets have been very good over the past few seasons. The Penguins have as well. And to a lesser, well, I don't want to say to a lesser extent, but I think that this rivalry with Columbus has more hatred in it than even the Penguins Capitals rivalry at this point. And uh, I love it. I, I think I love when Tortorella talks after the games. I love that he speaks so his I. mind. I think that, <laughs> quite honestly, if a lot of fans had the chance to, they would love to sit down and have a beer with the guy. And uh, I certainly would as well. I, I, I love asking him questions. Um, I have been... Uh, dismissed by him on more than one occasion he's called my questions stupid on more than one occasion but uh i'm going to continue to ask him questions because i i love that he speaks his mind and that he's honest and i i love that uh this rivalry the the closest team geographically to pittsburgh has finally uh become a great rivalry that the nhl was hoping for when they moved columbus to the eastern conference it seemed really weird when Columbus was in the Western Conference and you're thinking, ah, oh, that's stupid because you could really have something here if you're the NHL. And in covering last year's first-round playoff series, in Columbus there is a real hatred for the Penguins. I don't think there's a hatred for the Blue Jackets among the majority of the Penguins' fan base. Maybe annoyance is yes. the better word. But say they beat them in a playoff series, they being the Blue Jackets and them being the Penguins, that will kick it into higher gear. Or, well... The Penguins aren't guaranteed to make the playoffs at all this year right now. The Jackets are seven points ahead of them in the Metro Division standings. And John Tortorella, Mike Sullivan, Sullivan working for Tortorella, and then Sullivan last year beating his old mentor in the playoffs. That's good stuff, too. And Sidney Crosby and Yevgeny Malkin tend to get pretty irritated in these games as well. We saw both of them get involved. Uh, Malkin, in fact, dropping the gloves with Nick uh, Foligno and... 
Crosby and Seth Jones coming together, Seth Jones being one of the better players on the Jackets. So there's that aspect of it, too. Typically, the Stars don't get engaged physically or in fisticuffs right. that often. But against the, the Blue Jackets, it seems they make an exception, don't they? They do. I think that uh, it brings out the... I don't want to say the best in the Penguins as far as the fisticuffs go, but I think that it brings out that competitive spirit that the Penguins have been lacking this season. I think that that last game against Columbus was one of the three or four games this season where they did play start to finish. And I think that if the Penguins could only play the Blue Jackets every night, they, they might actually play complete games every night. So I, I'm looking forward to this game tonight. I think that uh, you'll see probably a couple fisticuffs. I don't think you'll see uh, Sedlak dropping the gloves with Reeves again. I think uh, That was uh, stupid on his yeah, part. Yeah, it was. And uh, Tortorella actually said that after the game. He <laughs> said, I appreciate his uh, willingness to stick up for his teammates, but that was dumb on his part. And, uh, could have ended a lot worse than it, it did. It, it could have. I, I don't no think, joking uh, matter. Yeah, I don't think that you'll see that again. But uh, I wouldn't. it wouldn't shock me to see, uh, you know, if Kenny Malkin or a guy like that drop the gloves again. I, I think that this is becoming a great rivalry and that's what happens when you play each other in the playoffs and uh it like to just go back to your earlier point it was really weird when the nhl put them in the western conference I, at the time it, it was the only place they could go because of the the amount of teams in the east and west but uh it, they, they were the only team in the western conference that was in the eastern time zone that was uh that was rough for them i think that uh I, I remember writing something. They played 29 games that the the last season that they played in the Western Conference in the Pacific Time Zone. And when you're tough to build a fan base yeah, that exactly. way. Ten o'clock starts local time. Watching on TV. Exactly. So the NHL got it right by moving them to this conference, and in in doing so, has created a great rivalry between Pittsburgh and Columbus. All right, you mentioned the Capitals. Is that the number two rivalry right now? Yeah, I think so. I think that it would go uh, Columbus, Washington, and then uh, the Flyers, even though the Flyers haven't been great. That's always going to be a rival, regardless if they're good or not. It won't take much, I don't think, for Penn's Flyers to get kicked back into gear, uh, I think. Maybe just the Flyers getting a little bit better, and right now the Penguins and the Flyers are right next to each other in the standings, but overall the Flyers are rebuilding. They're trying to find their way back, whereas the Penguins are still in that... Stanley Cup contention window, at least we think. I'm not sure there are any other real candidates in the Eastern Conference for uh, for rivalry status with the Penguins. I suppose the Rangers, the Pens have faced them, what, three times yeah. this decade in the postseason? They, they, they've been kind of lopsided series. The, the Rangers did win one series, so hey, we got to give them that. That was the Mike Johnston uh, ill-fated uh, no, They won two series. They came back from 3-1 down against the Dan Bilesma That's team right. in 2014. Yeah, going further back, you're right. Yeah, yeah. I... Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, if you were to believe uh, NBC uh, Sports Network, uh, every team that the Penguins play on Wednesday night is a rival. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> not exactly sure how the Penguins are rivals with the Buffalo Sabres, but that seems to be a popular uh, Wednesday night rivalry game. But yeah, I would say not even one and two. Maybe uh, maybe Columbus and Washington are probably one and one A, and then the Flyers yeah. are slightly below that. And then you get into maybe like the Rangers, and even the Penguins have had some nasty games with the Islanders too, but they're kind of down the chart. They have 2011 especially. They had yes. some nasty games yes, they with did. the Islanders. And the Islanders have traditionally broken Penguins fans' hearts. Not recently, but they did back in the day a couple of times in, in 75 and, what, 82 and also 93. So oh, there are yeah. some, for, for the, for the diehard original Penguins fans, yeah, the Islanders, I'm sure, get their dander up as well. Are you okay with the way that the NHL is doing it now? Two teams or two games against every team in the league? Yes. Three or four against the other division and then what, uh, four or five in your division? Yeah, I like it. I think that uh, 
I think it's important that every team comes in once and the Penguins or every other team yes, goes to every other building. That. I think, you know, if you're a fan that's in Winnipeg or Calgary and you only get to see Sidney Crosby of Genny Malkin once every three years, that's no fun. I, I think that... I think that those fans out there in other cities deserve to see the Penguin Stars and vice versa. I think that the fans of Pittsburgh deserve to see, you know, uh, Patrick Laine and Connor McDavid come into Pittsburgh and not just once every three years. I think Johnny Gaudreau's in that mix. Exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah, I think it's great. And I, I will say, though, I do think that the season's too long. I think that they should cut the season down. Even if it was just two games, it would save... You know, one home game, one road game. It would save another week in the season, and just you know, it, at least the it's an even number of games at eight. Well, eighty-two is an even number too, but you know, cut it down to eighty. It cuts a week off this calendar. I, I would actually like it to see even less than that, but that's probably the most realistic. I think if you cut any more than two games, the owners aren't going to like it because that's revenue that they're missing out on, and the players aren't going to like it because at that point, the owners could probably say, hey. We don't have to pay you as much because you're playing less games. So. Yeah, you know that'll be used in a CBA negotiation. Exactly. At some point, so right? I think that's probably the most that you could take off. But I would like to see them cut back just those two games, and I I, I would love them for just to keep it where every team's coming in once, and the Penguins are going to endeavor building at least once. Okay, I would be okay with 76 games, and. Don't rule out the NBA is talking about this right now. So if one league does it, the then maybe the other league thinks that it's it's doable. And so many of these buildings and some owners own both the NBA and the NHL yeah. team in a given city. So maybe they're more amenable to that. Um, I think it would, well, number one, create a little more scarcity. Not every team sells out. Remember right. that. A, a team in... I don't know, in Raleigh, North Carolina or Sunrise, Florida, probably isn't going to miss a couple of those games against uh, Vancouver or, or whatever random team, the Islanders, out of your division, it's uh, or even in your division in some of these places. We've been there in Pittsburgh, too, in the past, seeing 12,000 at, uh, at Mellon Arena Absolutely. in the early part of this century as well. So, yeah, it's, it's about shifting supply and demand, and if they could get to 76, I think it would be all right, and take away some of those back-to-back situations which have really come into play here um one more thing on this subject as well with the way they've laid out the schedule how about the bye week this is the second week for the second year for the bye week and i put that in quotes it's about five days off for each team that they get is there enough benefit there to cause for the schedule to be condensed around it a little bit i i think it's kind of funny they they there's a bye week now but the rest of the schedule has been condensed because of the bye week (laughs) so there are more back-to-back games now because of the bye week so is there really a benefit to having that week off when you're playing you know an extra two or three or in the penguins case five or six back-to-backs i don't know and i just think that it's really funny the way that that came about the penguins or i'm sorry not the penguins the players said okay if we're going to play three on three in the all-star game then we want to buy week. Yeah, it was kind of a, <laughs> uh, just a very weird trade-off. But uh, I'm I, not sure who's benefiting really in either situation. I, I'm not sure either. And <laughs> and like I said, I just think that it's ironic that the the okay they have this bye week now, but the the schedule is more condensed and there's more back-to-backs now. And I think that they did a little bit better job this year. Last year, uh, the the teams coming off bye weeks were playing. You know, I think that the Penguins ended up. They had a bye week, and then they played the Lightning the very next game. 
out of the break, and the Lightning played the night before. So the Penguins had like six days rest, and the Lightning played the night before against, and then they had to come in and play the Penguins. Um, I think that the league did a little bit better job this year. I think there's only two bye weeks for the whole league. There's like one in January and one in February, one at the end of January. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. So yeah. They had them all over the map. Yeah, they were all over the place year, last yeah. season, but I think there's only two of them this year. So that, that helps a little bit. It makes a little bit more sense, but... Uh, We'll see how it goes. I know Bettman wasn't a big fan of it uh, when somebody asked him that at the beginning of the season. So yeah. they, they could actually get rid of it after this year. So we'll see. But uh, <clears throat> I don't know. It, it kind of is weird that, you know, you have the three-day Christmas break, and then two weeks later you have five days off. So we'll see. It might it, be good for this team, though. It, it could be. I, they could get some practice time in because once you start getting into 15, 16, 17 games in, in a month, you don't really have much time to practice things that, that you really do need to practice. So it could be a benefit to the Penguins for sure. The practice and the rest factor too. And just getting away mentally. I think mentally might be the biggest uh, the biggest aspect of it that is lacked for the Penguins this year. Blown coverages, lack of attention to detail. That all comes from not having the, the, the fortitude or the focus to go about your business in a consistent way on a game-by-game -game basis. Well, they've had the break for Christmas. They have seven games in the next 12 days before they go into the quote-unquote bye week. And so there's a manageable chunk for the Penguins to say, all right, let's throw our best out there and see what we can do. And maybe for Jim Rutherford, too, to say, all right, this is what I have, and where might I go from there? Remember, the trade freeze ends at midnight, 12.01, a tick after midnight tonight. So after that, player movement comes back into the NHL after a week off. Vince Comunale has been my guest for the last hour and 15, in fact. Thanks for staying yeah. an extra segment. Anytime. He's from the Fischler Report and the Point of Pittsburgh, and he'll be over in the press box with me in about an hour's time for Penguins and Blue Jackets. You're listening to the Adam Crowley Show. I am Matt Geico from DK Pittsburgh Sports. When I come back, my colleague at DK Pittsburgh Sports, Chris Carter, will join me to talk about the Steelers and breaking down what they showed against Houston and what they could possibly do against the Browns that would put them in a better position going into that bye week and getting ready for the NFL playoffs. We are sports. Stay up to date with us on Facebook, ESPN Radio Pittsburgh, or on Twitter, where we keep it shorter at ESPN Radio PGH. This is the Adam Crowley Show on ESPN Pittsburgh and the iHeartRadio app. Here we go, back at the Terrace on 5th above Buford's Kitchen. Our perch for the next half an hour or so, leading you all the way up to Penguins and Blue Jackets at PPG Paints Arena. I am Matt Geica. I'm filling in for my good friend Adam Crowley. Happy to do so. I am a Penguins reporter and all-around sports analyst at DKPittsburghSports.com. And the man on the other end of the phone line is also an analyst, but a football analyst alone for our website. He is Chris Carter. You can find him on Twitter at Carter Critiques. And he's fired up to talk about the Steelers going into week 17 and also recapping week 16 at Houston, a very businesslike, workmanlike performance for the uh, the Pittsburgh Football Club. Chris, good evening, sir. Good evening, Matt. Thanks for having me on the show. Always great to talk with you. How are your holidays going? Oh, terrific. Like I said, I love this week. It's just like I don't know what day it is. I don't know what time it is. <laughs> All I know is I'm on the air with you right now and uh, and enjoying the football talk. I will have you know that 
on Twitter just a moment ago, Chris, Mark Wahlberg has officially welcomed James Harrison to the Patriots, so now you have that to think about for the evening. Oh, gosh. <laughs> we'll move on to the actual X's and O's, though. Let's go. The game against the Texans, that was the type of game, like I described it, workmanlike, businesslike. They took care of business uh, down there, and it was a team that's missing Deshaun Watson, a team that's missing J.J. Watt, a team that's totally out of it in Houston. But we've seen the Steelers not take care of teams like this in the past, particularly on the road. So what made the difference for you in terms of execution on Christmas Day? Well, for a lot of things, the Steelers have been on fire. And, you know, you, you look past, ever since the bye week, Ben Roethlisberger has had games in which he's thrown multiple touchdowns. That has put the team over the top. That's something that they hadn't been doing uh, in the week prior hand. They, they were very inconsistent on offense. He hadn't been able to hit Martavis Bryant for a deep pass um, as much as he wanted. And that was an element of the Steelers' offense that helped. And when you give them that, when you give them that advantage, uh, that that allows the defense to play within itself, and instead of trying to not protect the lead, they are protecting the lead. That's what they really had the entire Texas game. You saw the opening drive, they get a field goal, then they get another touchdown and another touchdown, and you saw the Texans, they allowed this, the Steelers allowed them to run the ball. They were they gave up over 100 yards in the first half, but they were okay with that because they knew as soon as you go to the air, we're taking it away, and you're not going to get you know five or six yards every time you run on first and second down, so we're going to get those crucial stops. They had pretty much everything planned, and everything went in their favor as far as how they how they planned to hold the game. Got to give a, a tip of the hat to the coordinators, both Keith Butler and Todd Haley, for that game. Joe Hayden made his return from a broken fibula and uh, got back on the field. We'll see how much he plays against the Browns here on Sunday. Then the bye week, that can only help him build up the strength in that leg. What do you think about his ability to have an impact on this defense that will be without Ryan Shazier, it appears, but they do get a man back into the lineup. And Joe Hayden, yes, he uh, is probably not in his prime anymore, but it appears that he's been a big help when he has been out there. Oh, I mean, he's an extremely uh, extreme help. And the thing is, is that the Steelers, and I, I talked to Mike Mitchell after, after the game, and what, one thing when I was asking him about how he saw everything, they call this guy Coach Mitch because he, he, he's teaching <laughs> so much and he knows so much about how the defense is supposed to work. But he was saying one thing that we've been able to rely on is Artie Burns in zero coverage, which means there's no assistance to him. There's no safety coming to protect him, no linebacker looking to give him underneath support. They're just saying you're going to lock down your side, you're the guy that you got to draw on. Because they've had that reliance, that allows other things to do, and that's how they've been able to compensate for Ryan Shazier and being able to shift things around. Now with Joe Hayden back out there, now you got two sides of the field that they can do that with, and they're and, and they're really happy to do that with. And you know, everyone's been talking about the DeAndre Hopkins catch at the end of the game, which was a remarkable, one of the best catches of the, of the year. Oh yeah. But but here's the thing: first half of that game, the, the Texans knew that they had to go to DeAndre Hopkins. He's the only real weapon they had, and he had two targets for no receptions. And Joe Hayden just straight up took him out of the game for, and, and Phillip was pretty much out of the place. And then eventually, you saw they were just going to force it to him because they were down by 27 points. They needed to find something. Um, so all in all. Joe Hayden is a huge part of this defense. He is going to be, especially moving forward, it's going to be really interesting to see how the Patriots, if they play each other again, how they how they deal with that matchup. Because Artie Burns did a really solid job throughout the game, and as did Cameron Sutton. But one of their touchdowns came when Cooks was able to beat Sutton on, on a slant route. I'm not sure if that same thing happens with Joe Hayden out there. Chris Carter of DK Pittsburgh Sports is my guest. He is our football analyst and uh, all-around enthusiastic guy, as you can tell. Oh, yeah. For coming across here on the phone lines. This is Matt Geica live from the Terrace on 5th 
at Buford's Kitchen. And, yeah, we continue to talk about what the Steelers can do, what they have left to do before they head into the playoffs. Let's keep it in the defensive backfield, Chris, because you wrote up sure. Mike Hilton rather extensively from Houston yeah. on Christmas Day. A huge day just from the stat line perspective, three sacks from the Steelers' slot cornerback in addition to six tackles. This is a guy who didn't have a job coming into training camp, so what's allowed him to really step in and become an indispensable figure on this defense? Mike Hilton is such a feisty cornerback. He's only five foot nine, but he's not afraid to challenge anyone, and I mean anyone. If you if they line that guy up with Rob Gronkowski, he'd still be look, looking for a fight every play. And they even they lined up against DeAndre Hopkins. I've seen this man go toe to toe with Travis Kelsey, one of one of the top five tight ends in the league, and and knock the ball out of his hands. He, he he challenges every time the ball is thrown his way, and he's blitzing. And, and as you said, he had three sacks in the game. That is the first time in NFL history a cornerback has had three sacks. It's the first time. Well, it's the third time. Excuse me. He was had a defensive back with three sacks. The other two are Troy Polamalu and Carnell Lake. Pretty good company. When I told him that after the game, he was like, "Whoa, I, that, that's pretty crazy. That's good company to see in, <laughs> um, especially since Carnell Lake is now his secondary coach." But I mean, it, it's an extremely—I've been saying this all season. This has been one of the best finds the Steelers have had all year because Sanquez Golston was drafted to be a slot cornerback. He went to the same school, he's the exact same height as Mike Hilton. They play very similar styles of football, but Sanquez Golston's been hurt for three years. As soon as they got rid of Sanquez Golston, Mike Hilton comes in, and he's playing better than they could have ever expected from a guy like that. So they're playing really well right now, um, and he has a lot to do with it. Even before this game, if you went back to that Patriots game, he had three passes defense in the red zone where he was able to jump up. Even when uh, this man initially beat him on the route, he fights through every moment. Um, and this is a guy, he's not afraid. It, it, man, I'll tell you, man, uh, Dale will tell you, too, all through training camp, whenever he made a play, he would scream out, I'm too small, I'm too small. <laughs> it, it, it was sort of like a fire himself up and let everyone know. Like, I don't care about what my height is. I'm going to be a playmaker for this team, and a playmaker he has been. Well, clearly he is using that as motivation, the evaluation, perhaps that he's heard over his career, that he doesn't yeah. have enough height to be a good corner. But clearly the skills are there. And you could say the same thing for rookie wide receiver Juju Smith-Schuster, who... Yeah. It's amazing to me, Chris, how he's just now a, a part of it. And we could talk about Martavis Bryant all day and how he might be coming on late, but Smith-Schuster has been remarkably consistent. And uh, it's now just a matter of fact that he's going to be productive and he's going to be getting open for Ben Roethlisberger. How has he come to this point? Have you seen stages in his development, or was it a pretty quick learning curve for him? It's a pretty quick learning curve. People were saying early on, because Ben Roethlisberger wasn't connecting as much with anyone outside of Antonio Brown, that uh, people were having trouble running their routes. When I was looking at Juju Smith-Schuster, I was like, this guy's running pretty good routes. Um, it, it, I think the biggest thing was Ben Roethlisberger needed to develop that chemistry with him. And that's just something you've seen throughout his whole career. Whenever he's, whenever he's been at his best, he's had a Heinz Ward, a Keith Miller, a San Antonio Holmes, somebody he's had at least three or four years with to develop that chemistry and, and, and move the ball down the field whenever he was in clutch situations. But right now, he has a guy in Antonio Brown, Mark Davis Bryant, who have both been around for several years now, and now Juju Smith-Schuster. He's ascended much quicker than any rookie receiver the Steelers have had for, for, for some time. And he doesn't just run the deep route. He doesn't run the underneath route. He runs everything, and he's going up and contest, contesting for what they call combat catches. Yeah. Uh, and, but here, here's the thing. He is the same height as the uh, same height, same size as DeAndre Hopkins. If if they if they um, if they get out there and they're able to make uh, make him into that kind of receiver and he continues to learn, I think that the Steelers might have the next 
best receiver in the NFL already on their roster. It's just going to take time because when you have Antonio Brown, of course he's going to absorb all the targets. But absolutely, Matt, his progression's been great. He's a great learner. Uh, he's a great student. i got to say, he's also an extremely nice person in the locker room. Whenever I've met the guy, he answers every question. Uh, the, the team Juju hype is real in Pittsburgh, <laughs> and it's going to be really exciting to see that develop over the next several seasons. If only the kid would just come out of his shell, right, Chris? Then we'd really have something. <laughs> Yeah, quite the draft pick for Pittsburgh, so you got to give them credit for the uh, selection. Now, how do you handle this week, Chris? Because you're going up against a winless Browns team. You know they're going to be bitter. They're going to be angry. They're not very good, but uh, they're not going to roll over here because they could join the Detroit Lions of, what, 2008 or 2009 as the only yeah. team to go winless in the 16-game schedule. They don't want to join that company, and it's against a divisional rival in the Steelers, and the Steelers have something to play for, but it's unlikely that they can accomplish that. They'll need the Patriots to lose to the Jets, and they'll also need to beat the Browns. So one of those outcomes is more likely than the other, and I'll let the fans at home decide which is. But how would you handle it from a playing time perspective? That was the big topic for the Mike Tomlin press conference this week. No, I, I think they, you got to play to win the game, as Herman Edwards would say. <laughs> I know they're the Browns, I know they're 0-15, and I know that they are a team. I know that the Steelers really don't have much of a shot to get that one seed. But in all of that, you have to you have to honor the fact that you don't want to back into the playoffs. You want to make sure you're going for it. This is a mature team. I'm sure they could survive a loss when they put their backups in. Backups in. But right now, they've been so hot on offense that I don't want to – I, I, if I, if I don't want to, I don't think it would be brave enough or the right thing to do if they were able to back up their offense and say let's let's put everything in a bag and wait two weeks um, for something to, uh, to to develop. Um, but yeah, I, I honestly think that the Steelers need to be able to continue what they're doing. They do what they did against the Texans: build a huge lead up, build, make sure that maybe sure you have a 17 point advantage. Then you take Ben Roethlisberger, Marquise Pouncey, Le'Veon Bell. You take those key players out, let them rest, and get your backups in. Then let your defense continue to make plays, and that'll be what you, and that'll be what puts you guys over the top. What if you pass for Is there anything you'd want to see in this game that that needs to happen in order for for them to, like you said, continue that positive momentum? Um, if, yeah, I want I want I want to see the offensive line do better than they did the last time against Cleveland. The Cleveland's defensive front, as bad as the team is, they are physical, They and they were able to get after the Steelers. I would want to see them just continue to show their dominance, hit, you know, succeed in, in the key situations, and be able to – and also I'd like to see the offense continue to put up those points on them. Uh, but uh, defensively, I mean, I'm not sure what else you, – uh, you know, what, what, what you're too scared of with these Browns. Sean Tizer has not been able to get, get himself together on their organization, and that's nothing really against the guy. Um, the Browns are just not in a good spot. So, yeah, honestly, I think the biggest thing is come out, exert your dominance, continue your, your streak of good, of good playing, and put yourself in a position where you don't have to play those starters. So, absolutely, I want to see the offensive line get, you know, do, play, play solidly together. Um, I want to see Ben Roethlisberger continue that momentum he's had with his other receivers, you know, because they will obviously will not be playing Antonio Brown. Um, and also, I want to see that defense continue to get pressure, build on that sack total, because, you know, you got you want to develop that chemistry. And I know everyone's talking about, oh, James Harrison's not there. Well, James Harrison doesn't play, right? He hasn't played much this year. <laughs> 40 snaps, he's not, he's not been relevant, yet they are still a top-five defense in the league. I think that that's what they need to continue, send the message. I know there's a risk of somebody getting hurt, but yeah, as Mike Tomlin says, 
You can't play scared. We cannot live in our fears. I think that's what the Steelers are going to end up doing in the first half. They get that lead, that's when you'll see them start to take people out. All right, Chris, last thing for you. You mentioned James Harrison. Let's bring him up from just a football perspective. You've played the game. You've studied the game. You continue to study the game. Can he have any kind of an impact, whether it be via the uh, the uh, opposing intelligence side of it or even just making an impact on the field for a Patriots defense that has not been good at all this season? As far as the intelligence aspect, I'm not too, wor- too concerned about that if I'm the Steelers because, one, they have developed a system for how the plays are called, what they look like. They, they use a call, they use a number system. That number system not only does it change every week, but it changes every half. And, they, and, and that allows them to sort of protect what they're what what they're calling and what units they're placing out there. So if James Harris is telling them anything, the only thing he can tell them is schematically. But you know that when you're look when you're Tom Brady and you're at the line of scrimmage and you're talking about what the chances they might do one thing or the other, uh, they're not going to be able to pick up on the hand, on the hand signals on the things that they're passing around because that changes too regularly. So not concerned about that. The one aspect I think that that, that has to come in here is. Would James Harrison be a better edge rusher for the Patriots than, say, Trey Flowers or the guys that they've been using? Because they've had to move a lot of pieces around on defense. And the thing is, if he's out there, and this is why he wasn't playing before, he's not a good cover linebacker. He's not quick enough to get back out and get in space and take away receivers running around. So if, and so whenever the Steelers put him out there, as you saw in that AFC Championship game last year, Tom Brady knew this guy's rushing. Or if he's dropping back in coverage, I can pick at him because he's a weakness. The Patriots have to know that if they put him in that position, Ben Roethlisberger is going to see the same thing and take advantage of him the same way. So if anything, I think that the, the sort of uh, information aspect that people are talking about, I think that's being overblown by a lot of people that are just talking about it and want to talk about it. I think the, the biggest aspect is can he be a – uh, premier pass rusher for the Patriots in their their stretch to go to the Super Bowl, which I don't think he will be. I think that, and I think the Steelers, both on both on edge side, I think Bill and Nueva and Marcus Gilbert, they're both playing at a really good level right now. You saw Bill and but he shut out Jadavian Clowney. I think if he goes up against yep. Harrison, he'll be in a good position to succeed. His name is Chris Carter. He's our NFL slash Steelers analyst at DKPittsburghSports.com. I am Matt Geica filling in for Adam Crowley. This is ESPN Pittsburgh. One last segment for you from the Terrace on 5th after this break. He's a legend in Pittsburgh sports. The Godfather, Stan Saverin. The man who doesn't spend time with his family can never be a real man. Saverin on sports. Weekdays noon to 2 on ESPN Pittsburgh. 970 AM and now on 106.3 FM. This is the Adam Crowley Show. I mean, I cannot believe the kind of nonsense that I am hearing right now. On ESPN Pittsburgh, 970 AM and 106.3 FM. Plenty of hockey talk today as we get ready for the Penguins and the Blue Jackets. Their second meeting in a week here at PPG Paints Arena, right across the street from where we're stationed. And we is myself, Matt Geico, along with Engineer, producer Joe Rokicki, and back in the studio, Brian LaMartina. Hasn't been an easy day with some of the signal issues we've had. Thank you at home, first of all, for sticking with us through some of the technical difficulties, and thanks to Joe and Brian for plugging through as well. And appreciate Chris Carter joining me in the previous segment to discuss the Steelers. And I do want to finish with the Steelers because this James Harrison story is rather remarkable because of the number of Steelers... Um, both on offense and defense. You throw Marquise Pouncey into that equation as well as Bud Dupree, who's been very outspoken. But the number of players who have come out and 
said that James Harrison wasn't a very good guy. You don't see that very often in professional sports, do you? And maybe I shouldn't have expected anything less from this pathologically honest Steelers locker room. This might be the most honest sports team I've ever covered. And uh, this goes back two years ago when I was in there a lot more often. Uh, Now I cover the Penguins more. But the contrast between maybe it's just the football culture and the hockey culture and football, they feel more empowered to say things to the media and get things stirred up from a drama standpoint. I love it. I think a lot of fans do too because they feel like they get a a closer look at what really makes these athletes tick. And in this situation, what's making them tick or what's ticking them off more appropriately is James Harrison and how he has portrayed the situation with his release by the Steelers and then moving on to New England and signing with them as being mostly the team's fault and how they were looking primarily at his age, 39 years old, as opposed to his production potential. And I think that has... I know that has ticked a lot of Steelers off in that locker room. Bud Dupree, chief among them, and and, uh, Bud laughed about Harrison's supposed positive influence in the locker room today when approached by several reporters, uh, later saying that Harrison wasn't even in meetings for the linebacking crew. He uh, was leaving the stadium early on days he was inactive. So I mentioned sometimes you'd see him on the sideline. That's Probably part of the reason why I forgot he was even on the team at times, not covering them on a day-to-day basis, is because he wasn't in the stadium for some of these games. When he wasn't active, it was all about James Harrison. And perhaps it's just a man showing his true colors at the end. But I found it refreshing to see the Steelers not say no comment or not make up some false platitude about Harrison to make themselves look, quote-unquote, classy. Well, no, when you do that, it looks like you're covering up for a guy or you're afraid to express your true self. And... With him signing with the Patriots, maybe if he signs with, I don't know, the Dolphins or some random generic contender in the NFC or some other contender in the AFC besides the uh, the Patriots, maybe only the Ravens would have made the Steelers this upset about the uh, defection because Harrison, to hear Marquise Pouncey tell it, pushed himself out the door. He was uh, being a malcontent, not being a true team player, not being any semblance of a team player, in fact to believe the accounts that we're hearing out of the locker room today down at the Rudy Sports Complex on the south side. It was an ugly situation by all of these accounts. Mike Tomlin didn't say much at his press conference on uh, on Tuesday, but here we are Wednesday afternoon, and we're seeing how people really feel. And I've seen some Twitter comments, some people on social media saying, well, you didn't say this about James when he was in the, the room with you. Well, no, that's just how it goes. You don't do that sort of thing, talk about distractions, and talk about self-imposed distractions, which the Steelers have fought through this year multiple times. That would have been a big one, don't you think, if you're going to call out your own teammate and Moss um, in your locker room while he's still on the team. That doesn't make much sense. But now they are liberated to talk at will about Debo, who will not see his second Steelers tenure end with any kind of the glory that his first tenure did. And this is a former Defensive Player of the Year, an undrafted player from Kent State who fought his way onto the Steelers roster via special teams. Full credit to him, and no one is besmirching his work ethic or the mental toughness that it took to get to where he did and to put himself in a position over and over again to be a productive pass rusher, especially for the Steelers. But it appears the game has passed him by. That's understandable at 39, and and Harrison joked when he took the selfie with Tom Brady that he finally has a teammate older than him in Brady, who is 40. But a quarterback you can play deep 
into your 30s and even into your early 40s as we're seeing with Tom Brady and still be pretty darn effective but maybe it's just time to give it up James and maybe I'll eat my words if he gets a uh, some playing time with New England, first of all. He's got to get on the field. He only had 40 total snaps, as Chris Carter said last segment, with the Steelers this season in 15 games. But if he does something productive, well, I suppose you'll have to tip your cap to him and uh, and say that it's another example of a guy who no one gave a chance to carving out even more of a legend in the NFL. But there's going to be a black mark on that legend now with the way he has gone out. And uh, I'm not alone in this I've heard and I've seen teams defend seemingly indefensible players on their way out the door when they sign elsewhere. But in this case, the Steelers, well, they passed on all of those pleasantries and they told you how they really felt. And that makes me grateful to be in this city with this team because uh, they have been worth the price of admission this year. More so off the field than on the field for a while. But now, as I mentioned in the first segment at the top of the program in the 4 o'clock hour, they're coming together, and it, it appears maybe even just as much off the field as we see this united front um, against James Harrison as they are on the field. They're playing at uh, or near the tops of their respective games, both units, offense and defense, and throw special teams in there too. Chris Boswell, as automatic as it gets, a pro bowler. I would say to Pittsburgh generally, just talking to the city at large, and it's it's sports fans, and if you are listening to this, you probably are a sports fan, but appreciate this team. They have been entertaining. They have been exciting to watch when they are playing their best, and in the end, they've gotten to where we all thought they would be this season, which is a Super Bowl contender without James Harrison, as it turns out, and I'll admit I thought that signing was curious in the summertime. I didn't think that Harrison would... Uh, really bring disgrace upon his reputation as a teammate and now he's the Patriots problem he's Bill Belichick's problem he's Tom Brady's problem he's everyone's problem (laughs) up there in New England defensive coordinator Matt Patricia will try to find a way to uh to get him in to that lineup I would presume they have paid him after all and they have brought him in so the saga continues of the Steelers and it appears to be trending toward the positive side at least right now despite one last midweek drama. It's just fitting, isn't it, with the way this season has gone to have one more story that does not involve anything to do with the football field. Thank you so much for listening to the Adam Crowley Show. For Joe Rokicki, for Brian LaMartina, for Chris Carter, and Vince Comunale, and Adam Crowley himself, my guest today. This is Matt Geica. Talk to you next time. Covering the Penguins on and off the ice. Your home of the Pens, ESPN Pittsburgh.